Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Uh, As you may or may not be aware, College Coach is a member of NACAC, which is the National Association of College Admissions Counseling, and uh, they held their national conference last week in Louisville, and I attended, uh, and there was a big vote there regarding the NACAC Ethics Code Uh, specifically regarding the recruitment of students. And it's been written about quite a bit in the news. The Wall Street Journal wrote an article about it, and uh, it appeared in a a number of places. So you can always Google that. But if you're interested in learning more about what I see as the potential impact for students, uh, as with everything, right, I think there are some positives to it and then also some potential drawbacks to this vote, uh, then check out our blog. So I just wrote about it. It was posted on October 2nd, and you can find our insider blog at blog.getintocollege.com if you want to learn more. Uh, Later in the show, we're going to be talking about goal setting for underclassmen. So for those of you who are listening and you are a 9th, 10th, or 11th grade student or the parent of a 9th, 10th, or 11th grade student, we have some suggestions for thinking about and setting some goals for yourself for the coming school year. And we're also going to be talking about the cost of applying to college, which I don't know that it's necessarily a lot something that a lot of people think about, um, but something we would encourage you to budget for. And so we're going to give you our thoughts on that. But um, before we get to all of those things, we wanted to talk to you about someone who is very important in your life, and that is your school counselor, and offer you some advice and thoughts about how to help them help you, basically. And here to offer us some of that advice is my perfect colleague, because she was not only is she a former admissions officer at from Goucher College, but she also worked for many years as a school counselor. So she has been that person and has some really good thoughts on how you can help that person. Um, So, and my colleague is Lisa Albro. Welcome, Lisa. Thanks, Beth. I appreciate you calling me perfect. That was a great way to start my Thursday. Thank you. Hey, you know what? I believe it. It, I was like not false praise. I I mean every word of it. Uh, All right. Well, let's just jump in. Everyone, most students at least, will attend a school with a school counselor. Um, That is the preferred term over guidance counselor. I see quite a bit of chatter about that on Facebook groups. And um, that is the reality is that today's counselor is really a school counselor. um, And that's a better description. Um, From someone who was formerly a school counselor, I would love to get your take on who are these people? Why do you think they are in this field? Why did you go into that field? Great question. And uh, first and foremost, they want to help people. You know, people go and get their counseling certification, their counseling degrees, and it could come in many forms. They might have their master's in social work. They might have their master's in school counseling, whatever that case may be. But they want to help people, mostly students, and they want to be part of students' lives in as much as they can and guide them, work with them as they go through many, many phases of their high school experience, which, of course, at the capstone of it, I guess, includes the college process. But before that, there's there's much, much more. Right, exactly. And I think mm-hmm. I, I think at the core of the work that we do here, we want to help people. For us, helping people achieve their education goals is our priority. I think when we think about a school counselor, there are a lot of responsibilities, and you alluded to that it isn't simply getting into college. That's kind of the capstone, potentially, for m- many mm-hmm. students, maybe not all. Um, so what are the typical responsibilities that are on the shoulders of a school counselor? Mm-hmm. It seems to become more and more each year. Of, I mean, I'm very connected to what's going on in that 
system, since my husband is a public school administrator, and we talk about this frequently, uh, counselors wear many hats. First and foremost, they're largely responsible for the scheduling of students, and that doesn't just happen once a year. That happens throughout the year. Whenever a new student comes in, they've got to find a place to put the student, what classes can they fit into, or as they're going into a new school year, lots of scheduling issues pop up, and, you know, it doesn't just magically happen that, you know, you, you, you enter the student's name and courses in and they just pop into <laughs> the right places, even though there are computer programs that make this happen, there still has to be a, a set of eyes looking at them. So they're moving things around, they're helping students with scheduling. Very often students have a conflict and they need to have that resolved with the schedule or with a teacher or with another student. So uh, sometimes that factors in. They might be a mediator uh, with conflicts. Uh, they're working with social and emotional issues that students are facing on a daily basis. And those, you know, don't have a timeline. Those can pop up in the middle of something else, and that has to take precedence, right? You, you can right. be in the middle of doing a very important project, but a student is in crisis, and you need to drop that project and, and go help that student. So uh, lots of things come into their day that can't always be scheduled. That they, they really have to be able to respond very quickly to situations. And then swirling around all of that is always that college factor, right? There's always uh, that group of seniors that are in the, the process of applying to college and they have questions and they, they need things. Uh, but the counselors also need things from them. And that's mainly what I, I would like to make sure we, we talk about today. Yes, absolutely. I mean, when I talk to students about their school counselor, one of my the thing that I always put forth is this is going to be one of your most important allies in this process. So even though you have us, your school school counselor is still super important and plenty of people don't have us. And that makes the school counselor even more important. So let's talk a little bit about that. I think um, one huge piece of advice that I've always had for students, and I actually have been talking to my own son about this, is developing a relationship with your counselor. So how do you go about doing that? What are your suggestions for um, getting that relationship going? Absolutely. It, it's going to be easier, I think, in some settings than in others. So if you're a student or if your child is a student in a very, very large public school setting, the counseling caseload might be rather high. And you're not always likely to have a counselor who's able to directly reach out to each and every student in his or her caseload. In a case like that, in particular, it's a good idea for students to try and get on the counselor's radar screen whenever possible. And I know this can be scary for some kids especially if they're young, especially if they're ninth or 10th graders and, you know, they're new to a school and, and it's a, a, you know, there are a lot of students there, but if they can start the practice of visiting the counseling office, perhaps to ask questions when questions arise, that's a great idea if they can do that, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, one of the things, you know, or just, uh, just to kind of pop in every once in a while and ask a question, ask for some guidance on something, uh, look through the listings that they might have on a bulletin board for, let's say, summer programs or uh, potential scholarships down the road or something of that nature. But make it a point to go in and visit the counselor, especially if there's some kind of an issue that warrants discussing uh, in their curriculum uh, or if they're experiencing any sort of difficulty in a class, if they've already spoken with the teacher and they're having any trouble there, that's a great chance to go and talk to your counselor and engage the counselor there. But just to start visiting. So they see your face and and know your name and they could put your name to your face. Because I'll tell you what, even though I had smaller caseloads and my role was specifically the college counseling role, I still had quite a few students to get to know. And each year I made it a point, of course, to pull out the yearbook and look at their faces and connect their faces with their names. And But I had to very quickly get to learn lots of names with lots of faces. And it's so much easier for a counselor to get to know a student by name if the student starts to become present to that person. Sure. And actually, it, it's I have encouraged my son to make an appointment to see his counselor. Uh, and of course, my son says to me, he's a sophomore, you know, well, what? I don't have any questions. Why would I do that? And I said, I don't, you don't need to ask him any questions. The goal here is mm-hmm. I want you to share with him the things you are thinking about because he has some specific mm-hmm. ideas for where he, less about where he might want to go to college and a little bit more about he's interested in ROTC 
see he does have a handful of colleges that maybe appeal to him. And also because he is one of those kids who can talk to adults. He's fairly engaging. And so my point is, go in there, help him get to know you and um, take advantage of this ability that you have. Um, And sometimes, you know, not all kids are going to do that. If you have a kid who can do that, I think it's great advice. Here's my one big question for you is timing. My suggestion to him is that now is probably not the time to make an appointment as a sophomore to meet with his counselor. Would you agree? Is there a better time of the year, understanding that it's always busy? Right. It's always busy, but it might be something to look at maybe toward the end of the year, going into junior year. And I don't want to make every student have to wait until junior year to engage with a counselor. I think that might even be too late. But maybe it's not making appointments just yet. It could just be popping in and asking those questions. But when popping in and asking those questions, reminding the counselor, this is who I am, you know, this is my name. Uh, It would always be very helpful for me when I would see a face again. Sometimes I would have to say, thanks for coming by. Remind me again what your name is. (laughs) And I always felt (laughs) a little silly doing that. But And I didn't want students to think I'd forgotten them. And I would say, look, I remember we talked this time, last time about this or that, but, but please remind me your name again, because that was my way of just trying to commit it to memory. So maybe the next time I would see them passing them in the hall, I would say, hi, so-and-so, good to see you. <laughs> right. No, absolutely. That was one absolutely. name I got down. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, so I would say, you know, in, in the sophomore year is not a bad time, but maybe not this early. Right now there's so much happening on counselors' plates with regard to the college process that they are focusing on. They're trying to get their seniors squared away, but maybe when that is wrapped up later in the year when it's, you know, we're moving into January, February, and it's less, uh, you know, on their calendar uh, in an immediate way with deadlines approaching. Deadlines will have passed in in many ways. Uh, That could be a good time. Springtime could be a good time. To right. start, maybe maybe make a quick appointment and maybe talk. Say, I'd like to talk about my courses for next year. Right, right, absolutely. So, in terms of um, those who are heading into senior year, um, I know that one thing again that I encourage my students to do is be aware of what the high school procedures are. So, can tell us a little bit about is that important, and where do you go to learn more about how your counselor runs? the whole college application process from the school's perspective. Definitely important, and it will be different from school to school. So it's important for students to, to get a handle of this for their own school. Forget about what your best friend's high school is doing or, or your cousin, you know, two towns over. Uh, what is your high school doing? Uh, it's always a good idea to visit the website because in a lot of schools, especially those that it might be larger, uh, the quickest way to get messages out to students might be to put it on the website, put an announcement on the website, maybe on the guidance page. There might be a specific corner for for the college process where they're saying, here are the procedures you need to follow. Um, This is how you request transcripts from us. This is how you let us know which schools you're applying to and what your deadlines are. This is how you get your teacher recommendations to connect to, if if we have to send them out from here, here's how that happens. So again, it'll be different at every school. Um, Naviance is a great tool that Mm -hmm. many counselors, if in high schools that use Naviance, they use it to communicate with their students. And, and I use Naviance as a counselor where I could go in and type in an email, make up an email, and I could designate who on my distribution list was to get that. Uh, very often I would include other counselors on the email so they were aware that this is something I was sharing with the seniors or the juniors or whatever class it was. I also had the ability to email parents uh, the same information. So I could send to students, to parents, just to students, just to parents, to counselors, to other members of the school staff that I had in that distribution list. Uh, And that was a very quick way for me to get a message out to lots of people and to to alert them about deadlines. So they might look out for that. Uh, I know checking email isn't something that a lot of students are keen to do anymore now that we Mm -hmm. have texting and, and all these social media apps and things, but I really encourage students to spend some time checking their email because that's how a lot of the counselors are communicating with them. They may be getting communications from counselors. They don't even know if they're not looking at their email. 
Right. You have to look at your email. You have to read your email. Not only is it good practice to do that with your counselor at your school, but that's a way in which colleges are communicating with you as well. And um, in that can be an important component of demonstrating interest is opening those emails. So get in that habit. I think that's a great idea. Um, what other tools? You mentioned Naviance and schools might have that or they may have a different form. Um, there are some new ones. Maya is one that I've heard um, that are kind of starting to compete with Naviance. And some schools won't have a, a program like this at all. But other tools that have been particularly effective, I wanted to make sure we talked about brag sheets in particular before we mm-hmm. run out of time. Absolutely, yes. So brag sheet is, is a wonderful tool that counselors use. And again, even though I had the luxury of getting to know my students very well in many cases, I still asked for brag sheets because I always learned something about them that I may not have known otherwise. And I also had a parent brag sheet, and I hoped that parents would fill them out. Sometimes parents did, but but very often they they did. Uh, And it was helpful to get that insight about their child from their perspective because who knows you better than your own parents. So between what the students were reporting to me and what the parents were, were reporting to me, I always had some material that I could use when it came, for example, to writing my letters of recommendation. And I was able to make them robust in a way that maybe if I didn't have that input from the student, I wouldn't have been able to. I would encourage students and encourage parents to be forthcoming with these forms and, and to be honest and, and to, you know, to give the extended answer if they can instead of just you know, a short answer or a quick answer if they're able to kind of expound upon something or, or take a deeper dive into explaining something that, that they need to explain, share that with the counselor because the more your counselor knows, the better they can represent you. And I assure students that even if the information being shared isn't favorable reflecting favorably on them, uh, maybe the student did have a struggle or a difficulty, it's really important for counselors to know about that because then they can think about how to frame it, yes. or if, if it needs to be framed, it may not need to be framed, but it would help them to understand maybe if there was a decline in grades or if there was a period of difficulty, they can understand that and, and better represent the student to the college, not in a way that will harm the student, but in a way that will help the college understand Right. Give some context. I can't stress mm-hmm. enough the importance. I mean, I always encourage people, think about the brag sheet as if if you were able to write a letter of support for yourself or if you as a parent were able to write a letter of support for your child, kind of honestly, everyone's dream, right? Oh, I would love to be the one who wrote the recommendation letter because who knows your child better than you do? Um, that is essentially in the brag sheet, your one opportunity to do that. And obviously the counselor is not going to write a letter that is just what you wrote in the brag sheet, but they might use that in, you know, very effectively as well in their letters. So I think that's really good advice. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. Absolutely. And um, we're going to take a very short break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about those costs of applying to college. So don't go away. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Accidents, injuries, hazards of all kinds. It seems like everything you do has something dangerous attached to it. 
Everyday safety is important to us all. Yet where can you get the information you need to prevent injuries and accidents? Tune in for Todd Murray and his program, Safety is Your First Choice. From safety in the home to the car in your workplace, as well as anywhere that you need to be prepared, he'll cover a range of topics. Tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Um, Before we get to our next segment... I am curious if you guys have checked us out on Instagram, and if you haven't, you should. I'm at ElizabethHeaton92, and College Coach is at College Coach BH, capital B, capital H. Uh, So again, ElizabethHeaton92 and College Coach BH, check us out. We're posting fairly regularly, and there's some good tips and also info on blogs that may be going up and also on upcoming podcast topics. Uh, Okay, so we... Uh, wanted to talk today about the costs of applying to college. I'm not sure people really think about the costs of applying to college all the time. Uh, They think about paying for college because that seems to be like an astronomical number for most people. Uh, But we don't always talk about the costs that are associated with uh, the process of applying. And so here to talk to us today about that is Lori Peltier. And she is a former financial aid officer at Anna Maria and Becker Colleges. And of course, she's my colleague here at College Coach. Hi, Lori. Hi, Beth. All right. So this is one that I'm not sure we've talked about before. Uh, it's kind of a hidden cost from my perspective. And that is, again, the cost of applying to college. So w- when do the costs for applying to college start? Well, I think they can start as early as sophomore year, depending on the student and how you know strong of a candidate they are and how interested they are of going to college. If you start visiting college sophomore year or taking any test prep programs for the SAT or ACT, or they might even start taking uh, the SAT or ACT you know, as a practice as early as sophomore year. And then in junior year, the costs start to add up as they take AP exams. And again, taking more tests and more yep. test prep. And then senior year, the costs continue and, and kind of skyrocket as you start completing the applications, visiting more colleges, sending your test scores, and then applying for financial aid can cost money too. Right. I think uh, so. Let's start with visiting colleges. That can get very expensive, right? If you're flying all over the country or um, taking time off from work. Um, Missing school, there's a cost there. It's not a monetary cost necessarily, but it could be a cost of missing classes and things like that. So, um, you know, do you have advice around saving money there? I have some. I have some, but I, you're our finance expert, so we'll start with you around around that piece. <laughs> Yeah, and also as a parent, I had twins that graduated college last year, so I know you know it, it was adding up to, to go. So we always tried to fit in a visit when we were going to a city or a different part of the country for another reason, for a basketball tournament, for example. If we're going to be there, we might as well you know, add on a couple hours and try to visit any colleges that we might be interested in that area. Rather than making a, a one-designated trip just to see that one college, try to fit in as many colleges as you can while you go on vacation vacation or are in an area um, for another reason, Uh, bringing along the younger siblings so that everyone can see the school, even though they might not be applying soon, maybe in a couple years they will remember what the visit was like, Uh, partnering with your friends and family, you know, um, carpooling with other families to see, to save on the cost can be one way. I've also heard of people using an Airbnb versus a hotel when they go to visit a college or check with the ho- check with the college to see if they have an agreement with a local hotel for a discounted rate if you're coming to visit the college. Those are just a few things, you know, obviously, you know, bringing your own food or, you know, staying at a place that has a kitchen so you don't have to eat out. There's a lot of different ways you can save money. 
Yeah, I think that's great advice. And the big one for me is taking advantage of you're going to be in an area and there are college colleges nearby, check them out. Um, I also think that sometimes you uh, students can be a little tunnel, have a little bit of tunnel vision. Well, we're going to be here. We're going to see this school. Well, look, are there other schools that you could also look at while you're there? Um, I know that you can't visit every college. And my advice is always the more colleges you see, uh, the better able you are to articulate and figure out the environment that best works for you. So if you have seen small liberal arts college, a larger school in a city, a larger school in a more rural area, uh, just a wide variety, then the, the more that you see, the more that you can say, you know, I am interested in these three schools based on what I read online, but I know that this one school seems to have the environment I like. And so I can't afford to visit all three of them, but I'm going to visit this one because I've had these experiences of seeing others. And the way in which you get that exposure is by um, taking advantage of being in an area or you're going to see one college, go and make the trip to see a few others while you're there, even if they're schools you would never apply to. Um, in your opinion, do you, do you see that as the most expensive piece of the application process or is there uh, something else you would identify that maybe is more costly? Well, I think with anything, it depends on the schools that, you know, the student is looking at. I'm in Massachusetts. My kids could visit many schools within an hour, two-hour drive. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that bad, but I do talk to a lot of families who live in California who are looking at East Coast schools, so that can be the biggest factor because of the airline cost, you know, to fly across the country. One thing that we did in our process, uh, my daughter was looking at schools very far away that would require an an airline flight, and um, we waited until she was accepted. So mm-hmm. that's, a, that's another strategy is, is to wait until you're accepted to go and visit a school. It's not always advisable because sometimes you need to see the school before you apply or know that you're going to apply, but, but that's another way to limit the number of schools you're seeing because you're not going everywhere. You're just going to the ones you are accepted at. I think yeah. the other costs associated with applying to college, they're all not small, you know, they're minimal amounts, $50 here, $85 there, but they add up because it's, you know, multiplied by the number of times you take the SATs or the number of test prep hours you're doing or the number of colleges you're applying to. So no one of the costs really stands out, but when you start multiplying them by the number of colleges you're applying to, then they start to add up quickly. Right. I would say uh, regarding the visiting the schools after you get admitted, It is tricky because there are schools where visiting is going to be really important. So you do want to see how do they present the visit on their website? Do they say that it's extremely important? Do they offer interviews on campus? These are all signs that getting to that campus is really valuable. So one of the things you might think about as you start to put together your list is, as a family, what's the budget for this? And how many schools realistically can you visit prior to applying? And um, are there going to be schools you're going to want to go to after you get in? Can you save those? Some kids can function really well in that. Others really need to see to know what you what I have seen be not successful are students who visit no schools prior to applying. Then they go and they see the schools they got into, and then they don't like any of them. And that is, of course, kind of disastrous. Um, so I'm not sure that's the best way. And I, and, and um, But it is certainly possible that you will not be able to visit every school that you wind up applying to. So just try to be strategic about it. Uh, and then if you aren't able to visit, you can get on the school's mailing list. You can reach out to the admissions officer and let them know, I really wanted to visit, but we didn't have it in the budget for it to do so. And if you are not within an hour or two drive or you are from a situation where even if it is only an hour or two um, away, you don't have a car or the means to get there, the colleges can understand and appreciate that. There are other ways to show interest beyond spending all of that money. Um, And I would say that test prep can certainly rival visiting colleges, depending on how much of it you do. So again, um, Sometimes it's better to do a couple of hours with a tutor directly working with one person on what you need to focus on for a particular test versus taking a class 
Um, I think people often think of classes as being cheaper than um, working with an individual tutor, but I think a strategically used tutor can sometimes end up being a much more worthwhile and cheaper option uh, than working than taking the class. And I also do think that investing, sometimes investing in test prep and getting higher scores, depending on the types of schools you're going to be applying to, um, for those that are offering merit aid, sometimes those thresholds are involved test scores and investing in the prep to get to those thresholds might result in more merit money later on. And that could be a worthwhile investment that really pays off. Um, other ways that you think about, Lori, to save money in the process? And like you said, there are a lot of little things here and there. So curious about your thoughts on, on how you might save money in, in small ways as well as big. And I agree 100% with that test prep statement you made about it could lead to more merit aid, so it can be a very strategic move. Um, so, so one thing that I did in preparation for our talk today was to run the numbers for what would it take for one student to apply to five different colleges and take two AP exams, send their scores to those five schools, take the SAT twice, um, fill out the CSS profile form for those five schools, and that alone, with just five schools on the list, with an average application fee of $65 per school, came up to $800. So just to give you yep. a ballpark of, of where that is. You know, of course, if a family is receiving free or reduced lunch, um, they can often get waivers for taking the SAT. And, or the ACT. Um, yep. students just want to throw also, that out there, too. I'm sorry, correct. Yeah, I just both wanted of the, to, the test. Both the SAT and the ACT. Just wanted to throw that out there. Right. And um, they also have the option of having their scores sent for free to up to four schools. Um, but as you know, you have to decide that when you take the test, which four schools. So I'm wondering if you have any philosophy around that. Do you have some you know, safety schools yeah. that you use for those free test scores to be sent? My advice to students is don't use the free score report, um, which is not particularly helpful from a budget perspective, um, because we just talked about how those small, more minimal costs do add up. For me, though, um, the ability to decide, unless you're applying to schools that require you to submit all your scores. So to the University of California, use the free score report for those schools because um, you're going to have to send down every, everything anyway, so you may as well use their score report. For the other schools, I think the benefit of getting all of your scores and deciding which ones you want to submit uh, is outweighs for me the benefit of the free score report, but that is a decision to make as a family. Um, from an admissions perspective, I would I would not use those, but... That's me. Yeah. I guess the last thing I would have for saving money is to stay on top of the deadlines, the timelines, especially for the SAT and the ACT, because there are extra fees on top of the regular price if you're registering late or you want to expedite your scores. Uh, so those right. can add up, too. And, and if you miss the... If you miss the deadline for any of the uh, financial aid forms that you're sending in, you might miss out on money, too. That's, again, not an immediate cost right in that second although the CSS profile is going to cost you money to file as well if you're applying to a school that has that, but I'm getting us a little off track. So um, I think all of these, really good advice. Um, anything, any last bit of advice that you would have? Any Anything else you were um, wanting to share with our listeners? Well, I do think it's a, it's a good investment. Obviously, you know, you want your child to go to college, and in the grand scheme of things, you know, if you're looking at a private school that over four years could cost $200,000 for you to send your child there, you know, $800 in application fees and SAT fees is really just a drop in the bucket. So, but I just wanted families to be aware that those costs are going to come along as they go through their high school years. Uh, yeah, and, and to prepare for them, I think that it's really, like I said at the beginning, I I see this as a hidden cost that people aren't really thinking about. And yet, if you spend a lot of money on test prep, a lot of money visiting, you know, five schools, most students are applying to somewhere between probably seven and 10 schools. Uh, we you really could be looking at thousands of dollars when all when the dust settles on all of this. So I think it's really great advice. Lori, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of these thoughts. 
Oh, you're welcome. Happy to be here. All right, great. Uh, We are going to be back in just a minute with advice on setting goals if you are an underclassman. So uh, stick with us. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. All right, we are back, and we are talking about goal setting for underclassmen. And I've invited my colleague, Abigail Anderson, who's a former admissions officer at Reed College, but also is a former student advisor and admissions officer at Emma Willard, which is a boarding school. So she has quite a bit of experience working with underclassmen. Hi, Abigail. Hi, Beth. It feels like a lot of what we talk about on the show is, of course, by necessity, geared specifically towards um, the college process. And we do try to offer some very timely things in the fall geared towards seniors in particular. But I'd love to also offer advice to those students who are listening or the parents of those students who are listening who are maybe just getting started in high school uh, or, you know, are only a year or two in, although it is amazing how quickly it flies by. Uh, I swear just a half second ago I had a fifth grader and now my son is a sophomore. Mm -hmm. So goal setting and taking advantage of every school year is really important. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about today. Um, And I think let's start with the part that is going to be the most important when it comes time to apply to college, and that is the academics. And um, what kinds of advice do you have and and thoughts do you have about the types of goals that maybe students might want to set academically? And probably backing up slightly, when we talk about goal setting, what does that really mean? I probably should have started there. What do we mean when we say we want to set goals? Yeah, I think it's really individual to each student and to each family, and goals can change over time as a student either hits their goals or maybe struggles with hitting their goals. So I personally think of goals as being targets, but also flexible and something that we might need to react or adjust, make harder or make easier based on performance over time. So I don't think you can just sit down and set your goals for high school 
maybe the day, the, the first day of ninth grade, I think you need to actively be checking in on your goals maybe every three to six months over the course of high school. And I think we've all heard of SMART goals and setting goals that are achievable and realistic, um, but that can also be broken down into smaller parts. So um, I think about goals that way. I don't know, Seth, you, I think, set a lot of goals to yourself. I know we both love to work out and have goals athletically for ourselves. Do you set goals differently? No, I, I, I think I set them very in very much the same way. I mean, if I... I set a goal of, I want to be more active. What does that really mean, right? And I would say similarly to a student, I want to be an all-A student. Okay, awesome. Who doesn't, right? What parent doesn't want their kid to be an all-A student? And as a kid, who doesn't want to be? So when I set a goal to be more active, I set um, much smaller goals. I want to work out four days of every week in the fall. Um, I know that I have in the past have struggled and it's more like I'm working out one day. So if I can get myself from one day to four days, awesome. But what am I going to have to change in order to make that happen? And so I would say that I think about goals that way, which I think are, in a way, thinking about them as smart goals, right? I mean, is that kind of how, Yeah. when you're talking to a student, so let's, let's kind of segue now into academics where I prematurely put us. Um, what <laughs> kinds of academic goals have you seen students set? What kinds of goals do you encourage them to set? And, and exactly that piece, how do you think about, what, it, what do you make a goal and how do you help kids think about how am I going to achieve this goal? Well, for me, when it comes to academics, I think about, okay, as when I was sitting on the other side reading files, what did I look for? What did the strongest applicants have academically? And I think we talk about this all the time, and you can break it down into a few very clear component parts. I think the strongest applicants were taking those five core subject areas that we talk about all the time, English, math, social studies, science world language. They were taking those five subjects every single year. They were increasing the rigor of their course load over time and where it was appropriate. And then they were also earning strong grades, like you already alluded to. And so when I'm sitting down with a younger student, I like to think about those kind of three components of a really strong academic applicant. And I say, okay, how can we make sure in ninth grade you have the five core subject areas, a little bit of rigor, if that's appropriate, and also make sure that you're set up to get the best grades that you can get. And then we'll plan for ninth grade in that format. Then we'll come back to that and do the same thing for 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, and so on. And like you were saying with your activity or athletic goals, Beth, we adjust based on what works and what didn't work. Right. And and then I think also, right, so things that I've talked to students about are, okay, so last year you got a B in math. This year you want to get um, an A in math. You think that that B was not necessarily your best work. What are you changing from what you did last year to what you're doing this year? And what do you, where do you think things didn't go quite well last year? Okay, well, I didn't really set time to study for my quizzes, and so I didn't do well on quizzes. I always planned ahead for tests, but not for quizzes. Okay, what can you do differently this year? Well, I could set aside time to study for quizzes as well as tests. Awesome. Right. And that seems pretty rudimentary, but it's amazing how often you just don't really think about it. And I do feel like oftentimes students with, especially when it comes to academics, they've never really thought about why do I do well in this class versus not as well in this other class? Is it all just because I really like this subject and I don't like that subject? Do I do something? And and is it because I'm planning better in this one than in that one? Am I, does this class not really have quizzes? Therefore, the fact that I never set aside time to study for quizzes mean that it doesn't impact my grade in the same way it does for the classes that do have quizzes. So really thinking through what has made you successful in some areas and less successful in others? That's another thing that I often talk to students about. 
Absolutely. I actually am currently working with a a student who's in 11th grade who, when we started working together, we sat down and she made three to five goals for academics and activities and just her personal life. And we check in on them maybe every three to five months. And I think... Well, she's incredibly self-reflective. I think 9th through 12th graders are a lot more self-reflective than adults tend to give them credit for. She was very honest with herself, and she said, um, kind of similar to your example, Beth, she said, "I, I didn't get the best grade in math last year, or I didn't get the grade that I know I'm capable of. And part of the problem is, I, my phone distracts me. And so on her whiteboard, she wrote out her goals, and one of them was to put her phone away and to really, sometimes she gives it to her mom, sometimes I think she tucks it in a desk drawer. You know, it is important to think about those little things that over time do add up. Um, and just having a quick check-in, even if it's two minutes, to say, hey, how are those goals going and how are you doing at the sub-goals that we set out to achieve that larger goal keeps both of us um, accountable. And it's, you know, it doesn't feel good when you have to say out loud, oh, I'm not really meeting the goal that I said I was going to meet. And neither of us like that. And so it's just an accountability buddy, as we talk about sometimes. Right. And and for some students, that's going to be their parents. It might be maybe a friend. It could be your school counselor. It could be a teacher. It doesn't have to be a parent. It, um, you know, I, as, as you're talking about this, I'm sort of thinking about, you know, do I do this formally with my students? And I don't necessarily do it formally with them. We talk about the things that we want to, what the ultimate college goals are, and therefore what needs to happen to get there. And then I kind of leave them to their devices. And, um, you know, it, it's making me think maybe I need to revisit <laughs> setting some more goals um, a little bit more formally with my students. So uh, it's getting me thinking. So all of my students are probably <laughs> going to hear from me this week about that. Um, so I, I think that the, the approach is very going to be very similar, but what about um, another area that's going to be really important to the college process? And that are, those are your extracurricular goals. Um, same general ideas. What are some areas that you ask students to focus on when it comes to that? Definitely, you're right. Same general idea. I mean, let's set small goals to reach them. But I think when we talk about ninth and 10th graders in particular, I I kind of have different extracurricular goals. And when I was reading files, I expected to see different things in terms of activities from ninth and 10th graders. And as an admissions officer, I did truly believe that part of the high school experience was discovering what you like and what you don't like and to have that exploration. And so we talk all the time on the podcast about developing depth in an academic and, or excuse me, depth in an activity or extracurricular profile and really committing to a few things and doing them really, really well. But I also think that in ninth and 10th grade, you've got to kind of try, try a lot of different things to figure out, you know, what you do and don't like, like, like I just said. Um, so with my ninth and 10th graders, I talk about picking, and this number sounds really high, and I give a high number in part to get them mm-hmm. to maybe hit it a little bit lower. And so what I mean by that is I'll, go, I'll say, ah, go try to do 8 to 10 different activities this year um, with the goal that maybe they try 5 or 6. Uh, so setting the bar high to, to meet, to hopefully, I, my expectation is not for them to fall short, but I, I try to set it high so that the, the goal is high. Try eight to 10 things. Go to a club meeting. Um, try babysitting. Join a different sport. Try out for the school play. Do eight to 10 different things. And I make that goal for both my ninth graders and my 10th graders in hopes that they hit upon some things that they really, really like. Or eventually, when we're talking about the college application process, they can say, these things are not important to me. I I don't really like theater or um, athletics aren't important to me. So I think it's a, a development of what you do and don't like and coming at it from both sides. Right. And what I like about that is, 
focusing that for ninth and 10th grade, because ideally from a college admissions perspective, you will have settled into the things you do enjoy doing and be committed to them through to the end of your senior year. So my son tried wrestling as a freshman. He didn't love it and his grades really didn't love it. So he's not going to wrestle again this year and everybody's okay with that, but he's going to try something different instead. But I, he and I have talked about the fact is that by the time he is a junior, these are the things that he has officially committed to and that he should be doing. Um, Because one thing that will really be more impactful will be the things that you are doing on a sustained basis rather than just adding, you know, dropping everything you were doing and adding new things every single year. That's not, you're ideally not going to be doing that. Another thing that I set for some students for a goal would be realistically, do you think you could be a leader of any of these things you're doing now? By the time you are a senior, and we talk about, is that realistic? For some students, it's not. For some, it is. Okay, how do you get there? If you are a sophomore and you want to be captain of a varsity team that, let's say you play varsity field hockey, if you want to be captain of that team, how are the captains selected? Are they voted on by the players? Do the coaches make that selection? What do you see in the traits of the person who is the current captain? And how can you emulate those traits or do similar things that will make people see you in that role? Um, So we do a lot of talking around those kinds of things, um, including the importance of being a leader at certain schools, not important at every school, and um, being thoughtful about, well, I know that I'm not going to ever be the captain of the varsity field hockey team because I'm just okay. I come off the bench and the captain is usually one of the stars, but I maybe could be editor-in-chief of the literary magazine because I'm really involved and I'm one of only a couple of people in my grade who are. So if I do X, Y, and Z, I bet I could be at that that level by the time I'm a senior. So things like that are, are other things that I talk to students about when we when we think about extracurricular activities and how to be as impactful as possible. I just want to jump in and add, I don't think we've said this directly. I think we've kind of danced around it, but it is okay to quit things, right? Yes. Like yep. It's okay to say, I don't like wrestling. It wasn't right for me. And no admissions officer expects a student to stick with absolutely everything. And in fact, when you're building that depth by 11th grade in those activities, you're going to have to give up something to make room in your schedule for the thing you do love. And so I, I like to remind families with goal setting, especially around activities, we expect to see you quit something. Yes, I think that's really good. I just think when you present it in your application, those things that you didn't love, if there's room for them, they go at the bottom. Do not lead with the thing that you did freshman year and then quit, which is a mistake that I see people making. Abigail, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Beth. All right, um, and thanks to all of my guests today. Next week, I am back and very excited. Um, We're going to be talking about merit scholarship opportunities, early round admissions, tips and expectations, and using mindfulness in test prep. Uh, We are here every Thursday at um, 1 p.m. Pacific and 4 p.m. Eastern. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.